I mean, at the heart of what blessedness is, what it means to be blessed, is to enjoy what God has intended for us all along, which is this intimate relationship with Him in uh, an environment in which nothing will ever harm us again, and all of our needs are met, and our, our joy and satisfaction is so far beyond mm-hmm. what we experience now. Welcome to the Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Nancy Guthrie is a Bible teacher and speaker and the author of 20-something books. Her most recent book is Blessed, Experiencing the Promises of the Book of Revelation. Yes, that book of Revelation. Nancy Guthrie, I'm so glad to have you on the Habit Podcast again. I know. Thanks for having me back. Maybe I didn't like make you mad or bore you to death the last time. So you said no, no, time. no. We it, we had lots of fun last time, and so I have every confidence that it's going to be a, a rip roaring time again. So well, I'm glad to your get to new talk book, blessed. Yeah. Do you say blessed or blessed? I say blessed. I guess maybe when it's at the end of the sentence, maybe I'll say <laughs> blessed. I, I don't know. Blessed experiencing the promise of the book of Revelation. What possessed you to write about the book of Revelation? I know. Crazy town. (laughs) You decide you're going to settle all the controversies about this book once and for all? Oh, hardly that. (laughs) No, no, no. Here's what it's based on. A couple of things. Uh, First of all, I believe in the, I'll use a big word, perspicuity of scripture, that scripture is clear and understandable. And, but I also think that so many of us have avoided the book of Revelation because we're afraid we can't understand it. Mm-hmm. And we're f- afraid of some of the controversy of it. And mm-hmm. we're afraid of some of the blood and wrath and persecution in it. Um, but I think the, the, the main thing is we think this is so controversial. I can't understand this. And so, and maybe I don't really need to. Mm -hmm. And here is this book. And as you can tell by my title, I I focus on this book's the promise in this book, Mm -hmm. which is there are seven times in the book of revelation, there is a blessed are those statements. So it's got its own set of beatitudes, kind of like Mm -hmm. uh, the sermon on the Mount has a set of beatitudes. So here's a book that promises us blessing. And, you know, Jonathan, is there ever any promise of blessing from God that we would look at and we would want to say, you know what, I, I, I'm not really interested in that. I, I don't really need that. <laughs> but here's this book that opens with the promise that blessed are those who read this book, those who hear and keep what is written in it. And mm-hmm. I just looked at that and I just thought, well, I, I want that blessing. And mm-hmm. I think maybe a, a lot of people might also want that blessing. So yeah. Now I have an Instagram account, so I feel like I know the answer to this question. But what do you mean by blessed? <laughs> Maybe Instagram is not <laughs> going to be your best source of <laughs> hashtag blessed, right? Uh, do you want a short answer or a long answer? Um Maybe we'll start with a short and we'll see how it goes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. So rather than going with what Instagram tells us means blessed, I propose we go with what the Bible presents to us in terms of what it means to be blessed. And, you know, at the very beginning of the Bible is a picture of an environment in which God created this land in which he uh, intended to inhabit with his people. And we could say in Gen- from Genesis 1 and 2, it was an atmosphere of blessedness, of blessing. Mm. But all of that changes in Genesis chapter 3, when this curse comes upon the serpent and on the ground, and it impacts Adam and Eve. And so, for most of the Bible, especially the Old Testament, there is this search for what's going to be done about the curse mm. in this world so that we can enjoy the blessedness that God intended for us all along. And when we get to the New Testament, we see how this curse is going to be dealt with, especially when we get to the book of Revelation. We read that Christ became a curse for us, Hmm. that the curse of sin was laid upon him so that we can enjoy the blessing of Abraham. Because way back there, you know, this promise was made to Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless those who bless you. And through you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. So Christ comes. He takes the curse upon himself so that we can enjoy that blessedness promised to Abraham. And you and I find ourselves now in this in-between time, this in-between the cross, the death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ, when on the cross, Jesus took that curse upon himself so that we could enjoy that blessedness God intended for us, but we're waiting for this day to come when we will enter into the blessedness that he has always intended, a, a blessedness that's, that's glorious and unending, uh, a blessedness of perfect security, perfect satisfaction, uh, perfect joy, face-to-face relationship with him. I mean, at the heart of what blessedness is, what it means to be blessed, is to enjoy what God has intended for us all along, Mm -hmm. which is this intimate relationship with him in uh, an environment in which nothing will ever harm us again, and all of our needs are met, and our our joy and satisfaction is so far beyond Mm -hmm. what we experience now. Yeah. Okay. So as you said, we live in this in-between time yeah, where the, the blessedness has begun, but it's not complete. Um, as you know, Nancy, this is a podcast about writing and the creative process. Uh, you write a lot. You do a lot of creative work. Um, this notion of blessedness and specifically the notion of, of sort of being in the now and the not yet, how does that shape the way you think about your work as a writer and as a teacher? I'm not sure if I've ever really thought about that. I I think I'm speaking to people who can feel very disoriented mm-hmm. about that now and not yet and confused mm-hmm. about it because you know we 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 read in the Bible these promises mm-hmm. that are made to us Old Testament and New Testament about what God promises he's going to do in us and through us and for us. And yet we look at ar- around at our reality right now, and it yeah. doesn't seem to measure up. And I, I think that can generate doubt about uh-huh. those promises of God. Um, 
a sense of, man, I must be doing this wrong. Yeah. If if God has promised me this kind of blessedness and joy and satisfaction, and I look at my life and it isn't marked by those things, wow, you know, I, I, either either those promises aren't true. This is all a mirage. This promise, or maybe I'm not doing this right. Yeah. So what we really need instead is this deeper understanding of what I'm going to call a, a timeline of redemptive history. Uh-huh. Of where we are right now, you know, understanding, yes, all that is necessary for us to, to experience all of those promises in full, they did, was accomplished in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, but we are in this in-between time. And yet, as we look into the future and all that God ha- is going to provide for us, when Jesus returns and ushers us into this new creation, mm-hmm. we actually don't have to wait for all of it. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not totally future. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are experiencing some of this blessedness now, tastes and glimpses of it in the mm-hmm. here and now. It's beginning in the interior of our lives mm-hmm. as where we were people who were dead. Yeah. And as we take hold of Christ, that new creation work is happening in the interior of our lives. So it yeah. begins now. But I, So I suppose my task as a writer is to provide clarity about what God has promised. Yeah. And to instill hope and anticipation of all yeah. these promised in the future yeah. and in, uh, encourage a willingness to wait, hmm. yeah. a, a willingness to wait for all that God has promised. Yeah. Yeah. You, you used the word uh, disoriented or disorientation a minute ago. And I mean, when I think about about your work, your body of work, it feels like there's a lot of orientation going on there. Just, you know, I'm disoriented. And, you know, orientation just means showing, you know, pointing somebody to the east, <laughs> like letting you, giving you an idea of, of what's, you know, kind of which way we're facing. Um, and not that they, you know, we could just as easily say pointing somebody to the north. But as long as you know which direction you're facing, you can sort of get an idea of of, of where you are. And. That seems to be a pretty important part of of what you're of what you're doing, and and is what all of us as writers are are doing. Saying this is the story you're actually living in. It feels like you're living in this other story. Consider the possibility that maybe you're living in this story instead, and maybe orient yourself to this story. And we need that reorientation, don't we? Because you and I, you know, we. We're limited by our humanity. We can only see what's right around us, what's right in front of us, um, what we're watching on the news, mm-hmm. and what we're experiencing in our own life. So we have a limited vantage point. Mm-hmm. And this is why we need revelation. And I'll say that, I'll use that term in the general sense why we right. need God to reveal mm-hmm. to us something outside of ourselves, something outside of our purview and our experience. We need revelation from God, but I'll also say it's why we need the book of Revelation, because mm-hmm. that's what the book of Revelation is all about. It's giving us a, a view into spiritual realities that you and I can't see with the human eye, mm-hmm. but there's things we need to see to be oriented for living our lives in this world in which uh, we're still impacted by the curse and there's evil is still with us. The Satan is, uh, you know, a roaring lion seeking mm-hmm. to devour us. The book of Revelation 
wants to give us eyes to see some things that we need to see to make our way in the realities of this world as we wait for the new creation. Yeah. Um, as you point out in your, in your book, um, you know, the word apocalypse just means an unveiling, a, a, a revealing of things that have been hidden. Um, and I, you may or may not be interested in this topic. And if it's, you know, we can move on if it's not, but I, I'm curious. I, I, I was thinking, I'm, I'm trying to make sense of, again, as writers, as people do creative work, the, the idea of uncovering that which has been hidden you know, is, is relevant to the work of the, of the writer. Um, I don't want to be in, I don't want to be sacrilegious, right. By, by saying we're all in the business of apocalypse. I, I, I mean, is, is that assess that, mm. assess that idea. Yeah. <laughs> Might be stretching it. If we're going to use it in the, in, in the biblical sense, because, sure. you know, uh, there's a difference between coming to an epiphany mm. and experiencing or receiving an apocalypse. Okay. So, like, so you and I, like, we might, oh, now I'm seeing something. Mm-hmm. I, 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 oh, I've come to an epiphany, right? Like, oh, I, I, I didn't see that before. I didn't recognize it before. Mm-hmm. That's, that's generally human generated. Okay. But an apocalypse. Apocalypse, if we're talking about in, in biblical terms, it's always something revealed by God, revealed by God. You know, in when Jesus used that term in his ministry, like when, when Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus's response is, you know, flesh and blood didn't apocalypse this to mm-hmm, you. Mm-hmm. Is that My is that the verb that was used there? Yeah, yeah, it's the same yeah. word. Yeah. Did reveal this to you, just yeah. like we see it, read it as revelation yeah. in the book of Revelation. It wasn't flesh and blood that revealed or apocalypses to you. It's your Father in heaven, mm-hmm. and so I don't know. Can I push back and say maybe we're going to reserve the word? No, that's fine. Apocalypse, that's- specifically in the biblical sense, to yep. something that God does. This is a supernatural. Revelation. Now, I do think the work, the work that I do, I certainly hope has some of that quality. Yeah. I mean, why bother if 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 I'm just um, you know if it's just words? Uh-huh. I actually have something to communicate in what I write about as I write yeah. about the scriptures. You know, I, I, I'm wanting to take what has been apocalypsed in the scriptures and. And, and I want to shine the light on it. I'm not going to go as far to say as I'm going to further apocalypse it because I'm not sure God needs quite that much help from me. But, but you know, I, 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 want to, I, I want to use whatever skill and opportunity mm-hmm. I have to shine a light on it. And, you know, the grid I use in this book comes from the third verse where it says, blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in this book. And so... I want to help people hear it. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think there's been a lot of teaching of the book of Revelation that hasn't helped people hear it. Mm-hmm. Instead, it has instilled fear and confusion. 
So I want to help people hear what he says. And by hearing what he says, I'm also, I don't want to impose upon it uh, my grid, my framework, Mm -hmm. my timeline, Mm -hmm. my job as a Bible teacher is to help people hear it. But then the promise of blessedness is for those who both hear and keep it. And so a book like Revelation, I think a lot of people come to it and they're just like, you know, there's nothing practical here. This is all just weird, mm. strange stuff. Um, and yet, if the blessedness, you know, the blessing is for those who keep it, I want to help people figure out what is it going to look like for us to actually keep, or I would say, to live in light of mm-hmm. what has been apocalypsed or revealed in this book. Yeah. It's about as Practical as you can be, right? I mean, a, living living a life that actually is meaningful and happy, <laughs> and um, it you know, the, what does what does practicality mean if it doesn't lead to a life of meaning and joy and and these these kinds of things? Yeah, it's if like, God is revealing some reality that we need to see to be able to live our lives in this in between time. What's that going to look like? You know, yeah. When he pulls back the curtain and I get to see through the book of Revelation, spirit, the worship going on in heaven, mm-hmm. or I get to see the uh, evil powers at work underneath what might seem like very ordinary things like mm-hmm. political powers or governmental mm-hmm. powers mm-hmm. or societal powers, uh, that's going to have some impact on how I'm going to live, how I'm going to, it's going to, it's going to impact the media I consume and the voices I listen to Mm -hmm. and the opinions and attitudes that I take hold of and allow to shape me. Yeah. So I I think those are very practical practical things. Yeah. Um, I love what uh, Chesterton said, uh, you know, pragmatism is a matter of you know, tending to human needs, but one of the first human needs is to be something more than a pragmatist. <laughs> and so that was his criticism of, of pragmatism. Mm-hmm. Um, well, go ahead. I, I would just say, I, I think maybe this gets at another reason people have avoided revelation is that other books of the Bible, I think people tend to see as more practical mm-hmm. Like maybe they think maybe they think it's going to be easier when you when you when you say in the epistles and you read all of these imperatives, do this and don't do this. That can appear to people to be actually more practical. Yeah. Uh, Apocalyptic literature, like we discover in Revelation, it's got a different way of communicating to us. But what it sets before us doesn't mean there's any less practical application. Right. So, yeah. So, when it shows us the worship going on in heaven surrounding the throne, it's not telling us, here's how you worship. Yeah. But in a sense, it's showing us um, what pure, perfect worship looks like. And Mm -hmm. so, therefore, in a practical sense, that causes us to go, does my worship look anything like that well then maybe some adjustments need to be made mm-hmm. yeah yeah can i return to something you said a little while ago you said epiphany is human generated 
What are you what are you talking about? It seems to me epiphany is something that comes to me from outside. Well, maybe I'm not using the words exactly correctly. So don't press me on this too much, Jonathan. (laughs) (laughs) But I think, you know, in normal parlance, there is that sense in which I come to an epiphany. I -hmm. have figured out something. Um, But that apocalypse, there's a supernatural thing has happened so that something is uncovered, revealed. I could not see it. I could mm-hmm. not come to this conclusion. I could not see this apart from a divine work that chooses to reveal it to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. And we are, uh, I, I'm, I, I get you. You're reluctant to, you pushed back on the idea of, the writer's work is being apocalyptic insofar as it unveils. And I'm perfectly willing to reserve that, that word for its theological purposes. Okay. Um, but I am interested in the idea that we are unveiling things that are hidden as, as sort of, you know, just, just like talking talks about us being sub creators, we're somehow sub apocalypters. Yeah. Um, yeah. But maybe we just need, Sub, you know, sub, sub apop, a, That's a pretty good word, but if we need to have another one, that's that's fine. Uh, well, I'm with you to the extent that, especially this book of Revelation, it's been covered up. Yeah, you know, it's been covered up by the way it's been taught. It's been covered up by controversy. It's been mm-hmm. covered up by people who say you can't understand it or, or fear. And so, I'm yeah. all for being a sub apocalyptor. For <laughs> removing any barriers that uh, hinder us from seeing into what God has apocalypsed in mm-hmm. this book. How about that? Okay. All right. Maybe, maybe we can agree and continue to be on friendly terms. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. As as you have acknowledged, there's controversy around the book of Revelation. And yet in this book, and you you specifically say in the introduction, you decided not to you know, make arguments against views that opposed yours. You did in this book, you don't come to you know an image or a or a verse from the from the book of Revelation and say, now here are a lot of different ways of viewing this, and here's why I have chosen mine, you know, my view. You just kind of Charge ahead with with what you fe- what you believe to be true about you know any any given passage or or image. Um, tell me about that decision. Yeah, uh, and it remains to be seen how that goes with readers. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, but yeah, I had a number of reasons for it. Um, one reason is simply space. It takes <laughs> yeah. it takes takes a lot of space. Yeah. To review all the possible, even worthy, mm-hmm. worthy or what I might deem to even be unworthy, but, you know, uh, but influential. widely. <laughs> influential, yeah. but unworthy. Right. It's, it's a, it takes a lot of space. And, yeah. you know, this book is already like 260 pages long, which is a lot. And so, didn't have the space. Okay. Right? I didn't have the inclination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Frankly. Mm-hmm. Um Number three, 
if you got another view, then you write a book. <laughs> and the truth <laughs> <Yeah>. is, <laughs> if the truth is, the truth is a lot of people have. I mean, when yeah. I look at the landscape of uh, teaching on the book of Revelation, it is so dominated by other views. Mm-hmm. So I feel like my challenge is actually, okay, I've got this audience that's been shaped by other views. Mm. And so my task is to make a solid case for what I think is a solid scriptural view. And so Mm -hmm. I took that as my task. I think another, this might be though my biggest reason, you know, I'm thinking about my audience and I'm thinking about a group that's going to get together to study Revelation. Mm-hmm. And and let's say a group getting together study Revelation in 2022. Yeah. And in our churches in 2022, I, I don't think this is going to be hard to convince anybody. There's so much to be divided about. There's so mm-hmm. much that has divided us mm-hmm. over the last three or four years, yeah. whether it's politics or masks or racial issues, whatever. And we don't want that when we come to study the Bible. And so I really didn't want to set groups up to spend their time talking about different views. Mm-hmm. I'm convinced that Revelation has a central message that's actually rather uncontroversial, <laughs> it's not hard to understand. I think it's hard to live. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think it's it's challenging to submit to and obey, mm-hmm. but it's not hard to understand. Most of the books on Revelation that I found, they started at this place of here's all of the basic interpretive views, and here are the different millennial positions. And honestly, kind of wears you out before you even get started. And, yeah. you know, if, if you're coming to the scripture, you're already feeling a little intimidated about the very idea of studying Revelation. And then you get hit with that. You're just like, well, okay, so here's all these various teachers. And actually, I kind of respect some of them that hold different views. And so which one am I going to follow or, or which way am I going to go? And I guess, bottom line, Jonathan, I just wanted to eliminate all of that. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted people to come to the book of Revelation and be encouraged that actually, what, would, what rather than look at, listen to all of these other voices about views of it, let's just go to the text mm-hmm. and let's look for what is clear and compelling and can't be ignored. And so that was my approach. You know, as, as I, you, you know, whenever you have a book come out, you're thinking about, okay, so what are people going to say about it? You know, what what are the yeah. criticisms I'm going to get? And I'm sure that some of people's first criticism is that I didn't acknowledge of you, especially if it's their view. It's theirs, yeah. mm-hmm. But I think I've provided a really sound resource that fills a gap that hasn't been there for lay people to study the book, the text of Revelation and uh, come to its central message and then figure out how to it's going to apply to their lives in mm-hmm. this in-between time. That was my goal. And so yeah. I, I I hope that I have accomplished that. Have you gotten any negative reviews, by the way? 
well, maybe they just haven't spoken up loud enough. Right. I haven't I haven't searched out any. You um, haven't gone to Amazon I mean, to I see your bad reviews? I, I all of them are positive on Amazon and all of them are positive on on uh, Goodreads. That okay. I, I looked there those places the other day. But, you know, it's just been out a few weeks. So I'm yeah, sure right. the negative ones are to come. And, you know, they yeah. might not be on Amazon and other places. I, I have some ideas of where some of them might be. But, you know, honestly, <laughs> at this point, I think people kind of know maybe what to expect from me. And mm-hmm. so maybe they just won't bother. <laughs> and like I said, there are plenty of other resources that will affirm their views. And so maybe they'll stick with those. Yeah. Right. Um, The, you talk about the idea of, and we've touched on this a little bit already, um, knowing what story you're really living in and that, that a a big part of what's going on in the book of revelation is saying here's, you think you're living in this story and you're really living in this other, this other story. And, um, I I do really like the way you invite the reader into um, a story, and specifically, I, one one little moment I I love in this book is when you you invite the reader to imagine what it would be like to be a member of one of the seven churches to which the book John's you know apocalypse was addressed, and and you say. You know, you're kind of gathered in wherever that that your church gathers, and and you've you've you know, it's not uncommon to have these people stand up and read these letters. You've heard letters from Paul and from Peter and from John, and then you get this wild letter, and you have to immediately you the that member of the church at you know F, or I guess. Is Ephesus one of the seven churches? I can't remember. Yes, it is. Okay, yes. yes. It is. I shouldn't have doubted myself. Um, or Laodicea. And you get uh, the, you have to quickly, you know, if you're a person in that room, you have to quickly adjust your expectations. Um, and I I, uh, I just loved the 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 way you chose to, to invite us into that scene. And then, you know, you go on to say, and then after you, have heard this letter, you then walk home and you're walking past all this Roman architecture and all, all these symbols of Roman power. Um, and you have a whole new way of seeing that, that Roman power that you're living under. Um, that's not a question. That's just a, a, a comment. <laughs> on, I, I like what you're doing uh, there. Oh, good. Would you say more about that. And you're, you're, well, I, I, I think what I would say is uh, one importance of that, you know, is that, for us to get to what the message of Revelation is for us today, there's some place we have to go first. And we have to go first to what was the meaning of Revelation for its first audience. In fact, we, mm. we have to do that yeah. in every book of the Bible. Yeah. But I think this key step is what's missing in so many, shall I say, unusual interpretations <laughs> of Revelation Because they haven't stopped there first. Because, Mm -hmm. Jonathan, it cannot mean something radically different for us today than it meant for the Mm. first recipients of the letter. And so it's very important. And I think it actually really serves us because if we do see, yeah, so they they realize okay they're they're hearing a very different kind of literature than they've mm-hmm. heard in all of these other epistles <laughs> that are giving all of these imperatives they're yeah. being they're being uh, invited in to see 
to see these visions that John received. So these messages are coming in picture form yeah. and that they have a real purpose. They, they, these visions that John was given are given for the purpose that we would see reality on this earth through the through heaven's perspective. Mm-hmm. We get to see reality the way that God sees it. And so here are these people living in these very, these seven cities under the rule of Rome. Now, some of them likely see Rome as very beast-like, hmm. which later on in the book of Revelation, uh, Rome, I think, will be presented. And, and it's more than just Rome for us yeah. over, over history, but it's for its original readers. Here's Rome. And how is it using its power? Many of them would see how it's using its power in very beastly ways as they're facing persecution and death. Other recipients of those letters, maybe they're not seeing Rome as so beastly because Mm -hmm. actually they're enjoying all the perks of Rome. And so the threat for them is very different. You know, the, the, the threat for them is that they might compromise to be able to continue enjoying the benefits of being mm-hmm. a Roman citizen and not reckon with the realities of being a citizen of a different kingdom mm. with a different king. Yeah. And so, you know, all of those recipients of the, the letter, they step out and they see the city that they're living in differently. Uh, I, I think that is the goal for the original recipients. And therefore, it helps us to think about that, to then take a step. So what does that mean for how I see the world that I live in and how mm-hmm. I see governmental and political power and the voices that I listen to? Oh, if, if this beast of the sea is like a propaganda machine mm-hmm. for the, the, the other beast legitimating his power and his message but really he it's all coming from the dragon it's all demonic messages and power well maybe even though i'm not quick to look at things around me and see oh some kind of big evil lurking underneath that maybe i think oh that's just kind of silly that's kind of unsophisticated Mm -hmm. Um, maybe 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 i need to Maybe I need yeah. to recognize that um, that there is a dragon who is still at work in our world seeking to deceive us. Yeah. So. Well, I love the way the attention, your attention to that to the envelope story shapes the way we we see the story that's inside the envelope. Mm. You know. And I, I I love it when when that happens with the epistles too, because the epistles seem so abstract and you know. Like you can just sort of transport them wherever you you want to because it's just a it's you know the the rules or the not rules but the what's the word you you've been using um, or what the epistles do the um, the imperatives imperatives, imperatives that you. are in them mm-hmm. yeah but uh, it's always refreshing to me to hear about to hear the story yeah. into which those imperatives were first introduced of you know how Corinth was different from Colossae and how that was different from Philippi. Um, For the Ephesians, 
I'm now I'm now going to be self-indulgent, just tell an amusing anecdote. Is that okay, Nancy? Sure, go for it. We uh, in our little morning Bible Bible reading when my kids were little, um, we had been reading about the Ephesians, about Ephesus, and the the silversmiths, and the silversmiths getting mad at at uh, at Paul. I guess it was Paul who got mad. Whoever the silversmiths got mad at and, and started a riot in Ephesus, and um, and then. Day or two later, I was headed to Memphis for something, and my little daughter, who was about four or five at the time, was just just crying about me going to Memphis. And she had gotten Memphis and Ephesus mixed up, and thought I was going to oh, no. <laughs> get mixed up with some rioting silversmiths when I went over to Memphis. <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, yeah, that really was self indulgent. But you know what? I like it. Get your own podcast it. if you you tell your own stories. Huh? It's like you said about about the revelation. You know, <laughs> you have your own interpretation. Uh, was that kind of rude? I haven't said that out loud before to anybody. No, I've been I, thinking I it a lot, but I, I haven't said right. it out loud. <laughs> no, I, I think that's a, a a perfectly appropriate way to think about it. I'm called to write this. You go write something else, and that's that doesn't have to be ugly. I didn't mean it ugly. <laughs> All right, Nancy, this might be a good place for us to 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 wrap up. Um okay. thank you for your work as a subapocalyptor. <laughs> I really Maybe appreciate it. Maybe I should it. make a sign, a sign, yeah. put it on my door that says Yeah, that. but hang a little shingle outside your your place of business that says Nancy Guthrie subapocalyptor. Subapocalyptor. Well, thanks for being to here, Jonathan Rogers. Thank you for having me, and um, I love your podcast, and therefore I love your li- your my fellow listeners. Great, so yes, I'm glad to get to be in a conversation with you and with them. Well, thanks for being here. The Habit Podcast is brought to you by the Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. To check out more of our podcasts, visit rabbitroom.com/podcast. Our work at The Rabbit Room would be impossible without the generous support of our membership. If you'd like to learn more about membership at The Rabbit Room, visit rabbitroom.com slash member. And thanks for listening. The Habit Membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co. Thank you.